my true north is to realize, you know, winning a deal, it's like getting a big commission check. It happens in a flash. You get your Slack channel messages, your emojis and your gifs and your high fives and your call outs from your CEO, and then it's gone. And then it's back to business. That commission check hits your bank account and you pay your credit cards and you pay down your mortgage. You do all these, and then it's gone. And then you're back to business. And to me as a leader, my, my true north is always like, how much can I get my team to love the moments that aren't obvious to love? Welcome to 99 Humans. My name is Jeff LaCosta, curious coach and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, striving to understand how little things generate big impact. And I'm Nadia Carta, tech executive and lifestyle coach with a mission to transform lives and corporations by kindling hearts to generate a zeal for life. Each week, we investigate stories about the human side of leadership to re-energize your spirit and help you become a stronger leader. Because the reality is that leadership is messy, goofy, challenging, but always human. Thanks for spending time with us today. Let's dive in. conversation already the three things you said i was like oh my god tell me more yeah so i guess a story that i'll tell you is one that's fairly recent right so i work for a company called clary and when i started i was chartered with building a team so we hired a bunch of people and kind of gathered them from various backgrounds and places but we used kind of some core characteristics that we felt were critical that would make up a great team so we hired that team The team's done amazing. I'm very thankful for the people we've hired. I brought in a leader. We hired two new leaders organically, which was fantastic. But one thing that was kind of a big shift was a team of people that were not under my kind of span of control got lifted and shifted under my span of control. And, And when that first happened, I was really nervous. I was really nervous because that team, I knew had kind of seen me in a certain light, right? They saw me as kind of like more of a sales guy. Like my charter was to grow our business and all this other stuff. Whereas their charter was more like customer success, customer happiness. And I was really worried that they were going to come in with these like hardened perspectives of like who I was and how I was going to lead their team. And there was fear of attrition and people were like, oh, like, do you think the team's going to stick around? I was like, I don't know. I don't know like how... I don't know how ingrained this belief is that like I'm this one thing versus another. And so this is just a story of like something I'm proud of, right? To be honest. And then I'll tell you some, another story after that. But like the reason I'm proud of this is that I was able to, in this moment, like take a lot of coaching and lessons that had been given to me by other really, really great leaders and really apply them. And you only get so many windows like that in your career, right? Where like, you just can like step out of like the day-to-day, you're just charging, where you can really like step back and be like, all right, this is going to be something that's going to take some time and I'm going to need to be methodical about it. And where I'm starting in terms of my like core competencies, if I were to just use those core competencies, it wouldn't go as well as I want it to. So what I need to do is I need to go back and think about like coaching I've been given constructive criticism I've been given, examples that I have been shared by leaders, books that I have been given by leaders to read, where you read these books and you wonder like, ah, that was really insightful, like, but I can't apply it right now. Like the thing I just learned in this book, hopefully I'll get to deploy those learnings someday. 
And this all of a sudden got thrown on my lap and I was like, here we go. Mm. This is going to take a lot of those things to get deployed to work because this team that I'm inheriting, if I were to just apply like baseline version Connor to them, it would probably not go great. So I need to like slow down, right? Like that's, I'm a fast paced, like high energy guy. I knew that this team coming in, I needed to slow down. I needed to seek to understand before seeking to be understood. I needed to like ask questions, understand the team. I needed to deploy like incredibly robust empathy, right? Like understand their challenges, understand where they are at before I go and try to excite them on a new world that we're going to hopefully like create for them. Like I needed to create bridges, right? Between people and different functions that didn't exist. And these were all things where like, I need, I needed to be very intentional. <laughs> I needed to like legitimately, like I, I at one point I remember I, I literally had like a piece of paper on my desk and it was like one-on-ones that I needed to have. And next to every single person I had written, listen, right? Like right before I'd have the call, I'd write down, listen, because my natural inclination would be to like engage and talk and it versus I needed to just slow down and listen and ask questions. And I'm really proud of it because I did it right. I did it. I slowed down. I kind of went outside of my comfort zone and I did so because I had people like Shannon, right? Michael Nash, right? Mark Wayland, Dan Harrington, right? I had a handful of leaders over the course of my career where I can remember literally sitting in the chair hearing their, their coaching, their words to me, right? Like there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth, right? Like, like the, I grew up a child of two trial attorneys, right? Like I grew up in a household of talkers, like talkers, orators, right? And so that's my weapon, right? That's my skill is my ability to communicate. It's not always my ability to listen. And I would say it was this two-month period of really listening. We did an offsite. I invited everyone out to San Diego. We had 75 people out in San Diego. And instead of like hopping right to like the charter of the team and what we're going to do and blah, 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 it was like we spent the first half day just hanging out, right? Just hanging out. We, we played beach volleyball. We threw cornhole. We took out paddle boards. We just got to know each other, right? We broke bread. And it made all the difference. Connor, I have a question. I'm interrupting you for one thing. I can't imagine, I mean, I can't imagine when you received the initial feedback, right? You said that moment where your leaders are giving you a book or are telling you certain things or you've been given this team. So going back to that moment for a second, how did it feel for you? Like deep inside. Like, how did you feel that moment when they were telling you and giving you this feedback? If I'm being like really honest, I think initially I was like defensive, right? I was like, because in your mind, I would latch onto the things that I would do well. And I'd be like, why are we talking about the things that I do well? Why are we talking about these things that like I need to fix? Because like I'm usually, my career, I've been really lucky. I've been a top performer. I'm usually at the top of the leaderboard, right? So I'm like, your ego gets in the way at times. You're like, why are we starting with feedback? Like, why aren't we starting with like a high five? Like, why am I not like getting like my name shouted from the mountaintop? 
Like why? Like your ego gets in your own way sometimes where you're like, like really? Like this is where we're going to start this conversation. It's like shit that I need to fix or things that I need to work on. Like, like maybe you need to refresh your dashboard or like, and then all of a sudden like humility and like reality sets in where you're like, this is worth listening to. Like the trust in the person delivering it. I think it, what held in those conversations was trust. I trusted the people enough to get out of my own way and listen to the feedback. I think if that trust, it had not, like if I had not trusted Shannon in those moments, if I had not trusted Michael Nash, if I had not trusted Mark Whalen, I would have written it off. I'd have been like, get out of here. Like you don't know what you're talking about or you're just trying to knock me down a notch. But I think it was the trust that they had instilled that got me to like see the forest through the trees a little bit, right? Which is say, okay, like they're not trying to take away your moment. They're genuinely trying to like continue your buildup. They want you to truly be better, not just at the stuff that's on the dashboard, but the stuff that probably will have longer term value, right? Like Shannon never knew that like the thing she told me in 2008 would get applied in 2021. Mm-hmm. She didn't know that. But I think it was like her faith in me and her like interest in me that led her to give me coaching that she knew maybe she wouldn't actually be the biggest benefactor of. So being somebody who likes to look at the leaderboard and be on top, and then stretching yourself to use the two ears and, and instead of the one mouth and really focus on that empathy piece. How did you think about how it's going, measuring success, keeping motivated with progress for something that isn't going to be measured by numbers and leaderboards? Yeah. And I think this is probably one of the things that like stands out to me is like why I love being a leader is that there are so many things that happen like between the lines that aren't aligned to like a business KPI. Like, like I had said, somebody on my team, leave my team to go take on another, another role at Clary and having a call with this guy's name is Ty, having a call with Ty where Ty says, look, I really want to take this job. But the, the biggest thing that held me back from taking a job was leaving your team. And like, as a leader, that's not going to be on a dashboard. Right. Like that's not going to be talked about at a board meeting. Right. Like that's not going to be on an S1 statement, which is like your ability to build a culture where people genuinely want to stay because they feel like they're part of like a family. They feel like they're part of a thing. And that thing is something that like they're proud to wake up and be a part of every day. And that to me as a leader is like that's my true north. Right. My true north is to realize, you know, winning a deal. It's like getting a big commission check. It happens in a flash. You get your Slack channel messages, your emojis and your GIFs and your high fives and your call outs from your CEO. And then it's gone. And then it's back to business. That commission check hits your bank account and you pay your credit cards and you pay down your mortgage. You do all these and then it's gone. And then you're back to business. And to me as a leader, my, my true north is always like, how much can I get my team to love the moments that aren't obvious to love? This is such a beautiful tag sentence. I can see it in your page. <laughs> really beautiful. What I'm wondering with this sentence is how this new thinking 
influence the way you evaluate your team now. Because the typical way of evaluating sales team, as you said, is the big deal. So how did you incorporate these new beliefs and values in your evaluation? Of that? I think, frankly, like, I don't know if you guys have, have watched Ted Lasso, but yeah. like, like, I, I joke because my team's always, my team always jokes that they're like, you need a belief sign on your wall. But like, to me, I am such a genuine believer. And I was an athlete, right? So maybe this is coming from like that background, but like, there's a reason why when like a soccer team is not performing, they go get a new head coach, right? And it's not because the head coach is going to score the goals. It, the head coach is going to inspire and motivate and get the team to bring their like their best version of themselves to the pitch every week, every day of practice. And to me, I am just truly a genuine believer that it's the belief and the motivation and the inspiration in their craft that I can instill in them. That's going to get all the tides to rise. Like a big deal here and there is going to happen whether I'm in place or not. Like it's just going to happen. It's going to be a natural byproduct of our business. It's the ability to create a culture of success and a higher watermark of execution across the board because my whole team is bringing their best version every day because they want to, because they're motivated to, because they're inspired to, not because they're being measured on doing it. Like if I tell everyone, hey guys, you need to have five meetings a week. How many meetings are they going to have every week? They're going to have five meetings every week. You know, if I go and I set a loftier goal that doesn't necessarily explicitly call out the number of meetings, but I can align that activity as a means to a strategic end, then I might get 15 meetings out of them. I might get five meetings a day out of them because now they're inspired and they connect the effort and the exercise of leaning in and delivering and mastering their craft to the outcome. And they believe in the outcome. They're inspired by the outcome. And to me, like, that's, it's just so core to like how I lead. It's so core to how I lead, which is to not say, guys, like, I will never tell my team, guys, we need to get to 2 million this quarter. Like, there's just certain things you'll never hear me say. I do not ever lead with the number. I will tell the team, we are being chartered or held accountable to deliver X. What do you guys think we can achieve? What do you think we can accomplish? Right? Like, to me, that then opens up the realm of potential, right? If, if the 49ers front office says, we think we, we can win eight games this year, what's the team going to be focused on, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be focused on like, which of the 16 games are we going to play this season? Can we win? Because we need eight of them. So let's double down on winning eight games at the right time this year versus if you have a head coach that is inspiring you to be the best 49er team the franchise has ever seen, you might go undefeated. And that, that's just so much more fun. It's so much more fun because it opens up paths of creativity and execution that like aren't all going to come from my mind. Like I want my individual contributors to be leaders. Is there a moment thinking about the work with the client services team and kind of that story where you felt like, gosh, this is working. You really maybe could remember the first time where you felt that spark, like, Hey, maybe this approach is really making a difference here. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, frankly, it was in the last day of that offsite that we had in San We did a lot of like breakouts and roundtables. And I remember walking around to these individual breakouts and seeing everybody participate. And it sounds like a little thing, right? It sounds like a really little thing, but historically my account management team had been so much more dominant, right? They had been the ones that speak up. They're more salesy, right? So they're speaking up, they're leading the conversation. And all of a sudden I'm walking around and half the tables have a CSM leading the conversation. Hmm. Half of them have a CSM on the whiteboard, taking down the notes. They're not sitting back watching how it's all going to play out. They're not sitting there with skepticism on their face, wondering like how the hell this is going to work. And no, they were in it. They were in it. They were participating. They were active. And then obviously there's the like tangible things, which is people coming up after the event and saying explicit things around, you know, creating a more unified team and all that kind of stuff like that. That was like the like very explicit moments where I was like, didn't see that coming. We, we, had, we distributed a survey. Mm. Didn't see those responses coming. Now, I maybe would have thought it, they were coming middle of the conference. But if you had asked me six weeks prior, no way. I would never have thought that would have been some of the feedback and like the optimism and hope that they were sharing in the survey. Like, I would not have thought that. So yeah, that, that was for me. And then now just the feedback from cross-functional team members, right? So other people that work with my team sharing feedback to say, man, like this is like a whole new ballgame. Like, like this team, like when they come together on calls, when we are working on strategy sessions, when we're working on shared projects, like this is a team. Like you guys are like, you are two functions for the offense and the defense winning games together. Connor, this is an amazing story. I'm so glad that we got connected because I can see just what a great leader you are and how you are willing to take a risk here and try a different approach with the team. And I'm sure that this radiates across everything you do. But if you were to package up our conversation, this story, and maybe into one piece of advice for, let's say, our readers, what advice would you give to leaders who are looking for some inspiration here? I mean, I would say welcome, not only to welcome constructive feedback and coaching and guidance from people that you trust and are inspired by, but demand it, go out and seek it out and appreciate that some of those learnings are not going to be immediately deployed Mm. and they're not going to be immediately relevant to where you might be at in your career, but to appreciate that as your career and your leadership path evolves, those moments of feedback and those at times hard to take periods of constructive criticism, even they will show up at the right time. So long as you've taken it in and, and it will make all the difference. Believe it comes back to that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's hard sometimes, right? Cause I think people compartmentalize feedback and coaching sometimes and they go, I don't know how to do that right now, or that's not really what I need. That's not in front of me right now. I don't need to do that right now. And I think they put it in a drawer and put it aside and and they don't keep it at the ready. And then I would also say in those moments of challenge, pause and think about some of those moments in the past and try to take inventory of those things and pull from them. 
right? It, it might be scary and it might be, there might be a little dust on that feedback and that coaching, but if you leverage it and bring it to the forefront at the right time, it truly can make all the difference. Because I don't think leaders, I don't think their natural readiness in every given moment is going to set them up for the best success. I think it's taking who they are right now and adding the feedback that they've gathered over their years to then create a really remarkable next leadership impact. Amazing. I love that. I think easy, easier said than done, but to hear how you've applied it is inspiring. Because, man, I got a lot of feedback that I need to go back to my library and dust off and take a look at and reapply. I think that's a great, it's a great takeaway. And he also makes the feedback more nicely to accept, like thinking, oh, I'm not going to apply now, but it's going to be helpful in the future. So it makes the peel a little bit more sugar-coated, I think. Really. Yeah, I, mean, I honestly wish I had like kept a journal. Like I wish I had kept like a like, lessons for a later day journal, right? Where I could just keep track of things that like, I'm going to need to pull from. I'm going to need to pull from those lessons because we don't have time to go like deploy everything we learn at every single stage of our life to something we're doing. Like it's just, it's not always there. There's things I've learned from my friends who are parents parenting a seven-year-old. I've got a two-year-old. I can't go apply those things right now. They're not relevant, but they're in my brain. And there are things that I've taken inventory of that when my daughter is seven, I'm going to go, you know what? I've seen what good looks like. Or I've heard from a friend who just went through what bad looks like and they're trying to be better themselves. And I can now learn from the mistakes they made in terms of how they're trying to parent their teenager or navigate a challenging time with their wife. Like it's not, it's, I'm not facing that right now. Like I'm not facing a daughter in puberty, right? But like, I will be one day and like, I need to be ready to like help my wife through that period because- like she might have some challenges. Huge. Thank you, Connor. Really appreciate the time. This has been a fantastic conversation for us. Of course, we'll share what the write-up looks like with you. You'll have all editing and if you want to be anonymous and all is is certainly available and we'll share that. Uh, The last thing that we'll email you, but just to put the bug in your ear, if you're willing, we're trying to follow the breadcrumbs to other great leaders to talk to. So if there are one to three other folks who you wouldn't mind recommending to us and maybe helping us make a warm intro. It's been fun to kind of go through the six degrees of separation and have some conversations outside of our own contacts as well. So thanks for being one of those. 100%. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely provide you guys with some introductions and it's a good opportunity for me to, on some level, like give them kudos for the way that they've impacted me too. So that's awesome. Well, I hope our paths cross again, but we'll be in touch. Thanks so much. Yeah, Connor. Thank you so much. Bye. Right. See ya. So nice.